0: Support for this IPR podcast comes from Iowa Community Foundations, an initiative of the Iowa Council of Foundations, connecting donors to causes they care about. Details on the Endow Iowa Tax Credit Program at communityfoundations.org.
1: It's River to River from IPR News. I'm Ben Kiefer. Drinking alcohol in any amount increases your risk of developing cancer, something many people are not very aware of. I sure wasn't aware of it until recently. Today, we'll discuss this and uh, other findings in the 2024 Cancer in Iowa report, Uh, a report produced by the Iowa Cancer Registry. We have its director on board a little bit later in the hour. The registry collects cancer data on all Iowa residents. Uh, Also in this year's report, how our state has the fastest growing rate of new cancer in the country. Why should that be? And is there a connection to heavy alcohol consumption among Iowans? Just a few of the questions we'll be discussing later uh, when we're joined by two cancer experts from the University of Iowa. You can join our conversation with your questions about cancer research, treatment, or prevention, uh, or if you'd like to share your cancer story, one 780 9100 <clears throat> 1-866-780-9100, or email us, river to river at iowapublicradio.org. Again, your questions about cancer research, diagnosis, treatment, uh, prevention, or share your cancer story, 1-866-780-9100. Uh, before we talk with our cancer experts, let's talk with uh, John Stokes, who's come into our studio today. He's a 77-year-old cancer survivor from Iowa City. Hi, John. Hi, Ben. How are you doing? I'm doing very well. I understand you're originally uh, from the Davenport area. I am. Okay. We're so grateful for your willingness to share your story today, so that we can uh, all benefit to have our awareness raised. Uh, tell us a little bit about your your background before we come to your your cancer diagnosis. Let's uh, talk a little bit about your use of alcohol. How early in life did heavy drinking start and why?
2: Well, I suppose it it depends on your definition of heavy, but um, I became interested in alcohol by stealing my stepdad's uh, bourbon uh, when I was, you know, like 10 or something like that. And Not that I'd ever get drunk, but that proceeded as I got older to the independence of having a car uh, where me and my high school buddies would get beer and drive around and get drunk. And that would be weekend activity that I kept up until I went to college, which once again, pulled me a little further away from the nest. And, uh, I expanded on that drinking to doing it more days a week. Um, and that kind of continued and only changed with, uh, as I had better access to money, the more booze I would drink and, uh, to the point in the last several years where it's a uh, very much a daily occurrence. Mm-hmm. And when did it first become a major problem? Well, I, I you know I never viewed it as a problem. Uh, <laughs> to be mm. honest about it, I mean that was that was a lifestyle, and uh, the only problem would be uh, getting up to go to work on time. In the later years, in my uh, when I was around thirty or so. Um, Integrating my life that I needed to do to earn money and my drinking, that was a problem, not that uh, booze I ever viewed uh, as a problem. That changed uh, as I got into my 30s and I realized that uh, um, if I kept down that path, I was going to eliminate certain stabilities in my life such as marriage, uh, house, family, and those things were not going to work out. So I needed to do something to change my behavior. Um, I also should uh, mention that as part of this, um, I was a hippie of the 60s. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't just, uh, there was a smorgasbord of stuff I was doing. <laughs> that, mm-hmm. uh, uh, but I never really considered it a problem, which yep. might sound like an odd thing to say, but yeah. it's true.
1: How long has it been, uh, John, since your last drink? And, um, and, uh, well, what what made you quit for, for good?
2: Uh, 1982 was my last Well, oh, congrac- Congratulations. That's a very
1: long time. Uh, it,
2: it is a long time. I've managed to get old in that amount of time. So <laughs> that's a kind of a good thing. But um, um, I well, like I, I alluded to before, I mean, I had a serious uh, woman in my life that I wanted to proceed with. And it was a problem for her, certainly, um, and it did not provide the stability that a good, solid love relationship needs. I recognize that, and uh, I decided I got a lot of support from—I work for Goodwill, and I got a lot of support from them as far as getting into treatment and just putting the stop sign up for that type of uh, abuse. Okay. If you've just joined us, uh, John Stokes is with us, a
1: cancer survivor now living in Iowa City. Uh, The focus of our program, a lot of it is about uh, the role that um, drinking plays in uh, cancer, the risk of cancer. We'll talk about that with cancer experts a little bit later. But, John, let's jump to uh, your diagnosis or your symptoms uh, that appeared and eventually led to a cancer diagnosis. Tell us about that part of your life.
2: Sure. Well, uh, around, I want to say, 2010, um, I started to notice that I was having a hard time, uh, an increasingly hard time, I should say, in swallowing food. I also would get bouts of sneezing and coughing that was once again triggered by food mainly. And uh, I mentioned that to my general uh, practitioner and uh, eventually... She sent me out to uh, Mercy ENT where they put a scope down my throat, which was one of the most significant days of my life because he pulled it out and he says, you have a mass," and that's nothing you ever want to hear. He did, though, say that it's treatable. How he knew that uh, uh, or or not, I I don't know, but that was a bit of a comfort in facing what I knew was going to be a real Problem and, and uh, then I started treatment uh, where I had radiation and chemo in 2011, and I think that ended in August of that year uh, successfully. Dr. Tufik uh, at Mercy was the one that engineered that, who I'm very grateful for.
1: Yeah, tell us about the more about the type of cancer you were diagnosed with and what your doctor. Uh, and the specialists you had told you about or uh, when you learned a likely connection between your drinking
2: and this cancer. Well, that did not happen. I was a very heavy, heavy smoker, and that's kind of where it all came down that, you know, smoking is causing that, smoking's causing you problems with your teeth, smoking's causing you problems with circulation in your legs. That came up over and over again. And the drinking part of it was more a behavioral, um, you know, liver and, and those type of things. And I did not realize the, that that might be a, uh, a, a cause of getting cancer later. Um, I, I think it's good that people realize that, uh, that that's something else that should be avoided for health reasons. And that's one of the reasons that I'm here. Right.
1: As we'll talk about later, you have your genetics, some people more predisposed to cancer than others, and then there are also sort of lifestyle choices you can make. And and John, I'm sure you understand this, that lifestyle choices you can make that may trigger cancers in your body, right? Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. What is the status of your cancer now? How long have Um, you been cancer-free, I hope?
2: Well, uh, as far as I know I am, I mean, I'm going to have a colonoscopy here in a few weeks, so we'll see how that goes. But, um, yeah, as far as I know, I'm cancer-free. I did grow it back on my tongue, which is when I met the good folks at the University of Iowa, cancer associated uh, with that. Um, And so I had that cut out. It was that same type of cancer that I had on my larynx, uh, squamous cell carcinoma, if that's how you say it. Um, and so that was cut out. So I've got a little um, V in my my tongue that really doesn't cause me much problems. There's a little bit of numbness there, um, but as far as I know, that was a couple of years ago. And as far as I know, I'm a, I'm cancer free as we speak.
1: Yeah, cancer diagnosis often changes a person's entire mindset approach to life. Uh, was that the case with you, John?
2: Um, somewhat, somewhat. I'd been through it. My mother died of esophageal cancer, Uh, my wife died of pancreatic cancer, so I've been around uh, bad diagnosis and all that, and I actually consider myself quite lucky uh, to be sitting here today. Yeah, yeah. You
1: have um, lost loved ones to cancer, your your mother, uh, who else in your family? Uh,
2: My wife, Peggy. um, those Those are the other two I've lost. You know, I'm 77 now, so I've lost a lot of people <laughs> in my family. But that's the; those are the cancer ones that I tell you about.
1: Yeah. Uh, some people may be asking, you know, why why come into the studio and share this story of, about your life opening up to us? Uh, we're so grateful that you have. I understand your, um, your doctor asked you to do this or asked if you'd be willing to do this. What's in it for you, John, <laughs> this conversation? Um,
2: my picture was on the front of the Cedar Rapids Gazette. All right. Yeah, that was pretty cool. Um, (laughs) Really, uh, uh, you know, I have a lot of of respect for Marissa and the the people that I've met on on this uh, panel that you'll be talking to in a bit. Um, And I also feel, I mean, I mentioned before I worked for Goodwill, and that was a hippie and all that good stuff. And I've always tried to incorporate a social sense in my life about others about difficulties that individuals face in their life that we all have in common, Uh, not those instances, but we all face difficulties, and that if there is, if somebody thinks that I can be of some help uh, at all, even in a minor way, to letting people know about avoiding disease, in this case cancer, other things, I feel a responsibility that I ought to do that
1: yeah especially young people are reaching yes. out when you see, see young people um, you know smoking uh, drinking heavily and so forth well well that's so good of you john we we uh are delighted that you came into our studio today to share your story. Uh, John Stokes, uh, 77 years old uh, with us and uh, a cancer survivor from Iowa City sharing a little bit about his background as we focus this hour on the latest 2024 Cancer in Iowa report. We'll have cancer specialists in just a moment. But uh, John Stokes, thank you so much and all the best to you and your family. Thank you, Ben, you as well. When we return, uh, we'll talk with Mary Charlton, uh, Director of the Iowa Cancer Registry, also Michael Henry, Interim Director of the UI Holden Comprehensive Cancer Center. It's River to River from IPR News.
0: Support for this IPR podcast comes from Iowa Community Foundations, an initiative of the Iowa Council of Foundations, connecting donors to causes they care about. Details on the Endow Iowa Tax Credit Program at communityfoundations.org.
2: Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR.
1: Back with more of River to River from IPR News. I'm Ben Kiefer, uh, talking this hour about the 2024 Cancer in Iowa uh, report. Uh, also, a main thrust of this report this year, drinking alcohol in any amount increases your risk of developing cancer, something uh, many of us are are not very aware of. We're going to dig into that uh, now and hopefully have you join our conversation with your questions about cancer research, treatment, prevention, or specifically the role alcohol uh, plays in uh, risk of cancer. Or you'd like to perhaps share your cancer story as John Stokes did in our last segment, 1-866-780-9100. One eight six six seven eighty ninety one hundred, or email us river to river at iowapublicradio uh, Joining us now, two cancer specialists, uh, Mary Charlton, uh, joins us, professor of epidemiology. Oh, she's also director of the Iowa Cancer Registry at the University of Iowa. Hi, Mary.
3: Hi, Ben. Thanks for having us back.
1: Thank you for coming back to our studio. Also, thanks for coming back to uh, Michael Henry, Interim Director of the University of Iowa Holden Comprehensive Cancer Center, a professor of a whole bunch of different things, molecular physiology, biophysics, internal medicine, radiation, oncology, pathology, urology. (laughs) I'll just throw that out there once, Michael. Uh, Welcome to you. Yeah,
0: thanks, Ben. It's a pleasure to be on here, and thanks for, um, for talking to us.
1: I want to have you both sort of comment. uh, You know, we talked with John there, but I want to have Mary first of all dig into uh, the relevant statistics uh, with our focus uh, uh, relevant to alcohol and cancer. Mary, what what can you elaborate on here?
3: Yeah, you know, uh, as we continue to see that we are ranked number two in the country uh, in terms of rate of new cancers and have the. Uh, fastest rising rate of new cancers in the country, we really wanted to take a hard look at how Iowa is the same or different in terms of our risk factors from other states. Uh, And one place, uh, not the only place, but one place where Iowa really stood out uh, is our rate of binge drinking and our exposure to alcohol. Um, We rank fourth in the nation for binge drinking um, and we also rank fourth in the nation for alcohol-related cancers. And given that not many people knew that connection between alcohol and cancer, we thought it would be a great topic to feature this year.
1: Yeah. And, uh, and, and what did you discover? I mean, binge drinking, did that get broken down into age groups or the time um, heavy drinking took place in a person's life? What sort of more sort of um, micro data do you have connected with that?
3: Yeah, it was really interesting when we look at um, binge drinking among our population and we break it down by gender, age, race, education, and income, um, and really in, in across every level, whether it's uh, lower income or at the top, you know, 200,000 plus income, whether it's less than high school degree or college graduate. In every one of those subcategories, Iowa had a higher rate of binge drinking than, than other states, um, and it was interesting that it almost grew wider in the um, higher income levels, the higher education hmm. levels, um, and it was across all age groups. We're actually pretty similar to other states when it comes to um, the 18 to 24 population. It's when, as people age, where we actually get higher compared to the rest of the country, which I thought was really interesting.
1: Hmm. Uh, Michael, help us understand the biological link Uh, between alcohol consumption and risk of cancer?
0: Yeah. So um, when you drink alcohol, it is converted in your body to a substance called acetaldehyde. This happens automatically and and normally. It's partly how your body um, deals with detoxifying its effects. And um, this substance, acetaldehyde, is known, as, is known as a carcinogen. It, it can damage DNA, the genetic material in, in your cells. And um, so it, it can cause that genetic damage that leads to cancer. It, it, it also is known to do other things. It causes a type of stress in cells called oxidative stress, which, which can itself damage DNA uh, as well. And at the same time, Alcohol can affect how your body handles certain nutrients and vitamins. Um, One of them is is called folate, and folate is important in how your body repairs damage to DNA. So it both causes damage to DNA and and reduces the body's um, ability to repair um, that DNA. And that's why alcohol is classified as a carcinogen. Along, You know, mm-hmm. we know of a number of carcinogens. Um, so th- there's more to the story, too. It, it can cause inflammation in tissue, which can cause cancers that are sort of smoldering in your body to, to begin to take off. It can impair the immune system and um, deter your body's sort of natural defenses uh, against, against tumors. And in the case of breast cancer, because, you know, breast cancer isn't immediately exposed to alcohol like the oral cavity and esophagus and colorectal um, uh, tissues. What happens in breast cancer is that, um, that alcohol can affect the metabolism of estrogen and elevate the level of estrogen, and that causes the proliferation of mammary epithelial cells, and that can help contribute to cause cause breast cancer.
1: Yeah. Uh, Mary, back to you. We've, of course, long been aware of the cancer risk of smoking. It's just a bit amazing. I'm sure others listening are amazed. Um, you know, why are we just learning about this? This connection to alcohol, when we've known so long about uh, the smoking risks uh, related to cancer, and it, are these new findings? Um, what's going on here that this is reaching people's awareness for the first time in in many cases?
3: Yeah, uh, it's not really a new finding. It's sort of evidence has been building over the last you know couple decades that um to to prove exactly what Michael was just describing. Um, I think it's just, it's such a pervasive exposure. You know, when you think of smoking, we know that 15% of Iowans uh, report being current smokers, and that's very easy to define. Drinking is just ubiquitous (laughs) in our culture. Um, You know, lots of people, um, when asked how much they drink, will underestimate that. (laughs) So it's not always the easiest thing to measure uh, and assess. But I think that the evidence is really sort of Uh, indisputable at this point, that it is a carcinogen. It doesn't have the, you know, absolute direct links like smoking and lung cancer. It's so strong. That association is so strong. But we know that it's a contributor and a really important contributor in all the ways that Michael talked about.
1: Yeah. Uh, Michael, to you on this, of course, in our consciousness, those of us who've been around a few decades, uh, it was quite a while that we thought, oh, red wine, that's (laughs) great for your heart. Um, And I I did some sort of research on that. I I guess it traces back largely to a 1991 segment of 60 Minutes, um, in which, you know, it was sort of asked by Morley Safer of CBS, how can it be that the French enjoy these really high-fat foods, the pâté, the butter, the triple-cream brie, and they have lower rates of heart disease? And so this kind of caught on, and and I think in our consciousness we thought, oh, alcohol, especially red wine, has what I think they termed then a flushing effect (laughs) that prevented blood clot-forming cells from clinging to artery walls. So when we hear this news, um, you know, are we? No amount of alcohol is without a health risk, especially for cancer. Is that what we're hearing? Well, what we know now.
0: I mean, I would say it differently. I think the data here is is that heavy drinking and binge drinking are associated with the the most dramatic effects. It is mm-hmm. dose dependent, so reducing your consumption can help um, in in some measure. We walk around with competing risks all the time. And, you know, if, if red wine is having some positive effect in one area and, and maybe a little less positive effect in another area, it doesn't mean that you should, you know, quit d- drinking red wine all, altogether. Um, I, I think what, what is important is that, you know, we, we – it's clear that that heavy consumption – does have these 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 links to various cancers and and reducing that heavy consumption should be the the target. Of course, that can have all sorts of other positive effects in one's yeah. life as well. So, yeah. when we have someone like John Stokes
1: on to to um, share his story, and of course, heavy smoker, and he said, you know, a lot of other substances in his in his life. How do we, Michael, pick
0: those apart scientifically to know? You know, alcohol was a contributing factor. It, it's really hard. And this is this is probably a, a question that Mary can um, walk okay. us through a little bit, that these sort of competing risks and how do we we look at that. So I'll, I'll yeah. pass that over to her. Yeah. All right, Mary.
3: I, I like to use the analogy, hopefully everybody remembers, Trivial Pursuit, um, the game with the, you know, the little wheel and the, the point is to fill in the pieces of the pie, as you mm-hmm. answer the questions, if you think of that game piece as cancer, and all the different pieces of the pie as cancer risk factors or things that can contribute to you ultimately getting cancer, some of those pieces of the pie get filled in for you, like genetics or certain circumstances of your life that you can't you can't modify. They're already filled in. So it, the goal is to stop filling in the other pieces of the pie. And smoking is one of those pieces, and alcohol is one of those pieces. Um, there's lots of other lifestyle factors that can, you know, that are some of those pieces, there's the environment, um, there's a lot of different contributors, uh, but alcohol is kind of one of those things that you can, control to an extent, or you can get help, uh, in controlling. And so we like to focus on the ones where there's something we can do either as a society or as individuals or both to keep that piece of pie from getting filled in. So you've reduced your risk of getting lots of different types of cancer.
1: If you've just joined us, uh, we're talking this hour about the 2024 uh, Cancer in Iowa Report. Mary Charlton, uh, director of the Iowa Cancer Registry, which has produced um, uh, this uh, report for decades, right, Mary?
3: That's correct. I think we're in our second decade of doing this.
1: All right. And uh, Michael Henry, Interim Director of the University of Iowa Holden Comprehensive Cancer Center. Join our conversation. Your questions about cancer research, uh, treatment, or prevention, uh, not just having to do with alcohol, uh, of course, or, or perhaps you'd like to share your cancer story. one 780 9100 or email us river to river at iowapublicradio.org. Let's go to an email. This is from Anne in Lamott, uh, she writes, "This discussion is focusing on the connection between alcohol consumption and cancer. I would like to know if this study also looked at connections between nitrates in our water and other chemical exposure and cancers in Iowans. What were those findings?" asks Anne. Mary, what do you have to say to Anne?
3: Sure. Well, first, I just want to start off that this wasn't a specific study. We weren't looking at something associated with something else, or you know, trying to figure out what are all the things contributing. This was, you know, a presentation of our cancer statistics in Iowa, and we selected one very common exposure, which is alcohol. Um, The environment is another one that a lot of people are very concerned about, uh, and we are absolutely working with several investigators to use our cancer data to figure out, you know, are there, what are are the health effects um, in areas, uh, especially if nitrates are in the water, uh, PFAS, uh, other types of chemicals that people are concerned about, and definitely keeping an eye on that. We know less about the impact of those on specific types of cancer. It's certainly a worthwhile endeavor to find out. Uh, and so we, we work with our colleagues to do that. Alcohol is one of those things, though, that we know. We know it causes cancer. We know that so many of us are exposed. So that's why we chose to focus on that one. It is really an area where we know that Iowa is a little bit out of line with the rest of the country and alcohol is, again, just a contributor, as the environment might be another contributor or another piece of that pie that I discussed.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Mary, a, a bit ago you, you mentioned a finding from this report, binge drinking more likely to occur, if I understood, in populations that earn more money. Uh, talk a little bit about, but more about the, the different groups and the drinking and, and perhaps uh, not only the questions that you can answer, but the ones that are out there that you would like answered.
3: Yeah, I just, like I said, I just thought it was so interesting that, you know, the, the people who you might think, if you were making some assumptions, you might think it's the younger people where Iowa has the higher binge drinking rate, or you might think it's the people with less than a high school education where Iowa has a higher uh, higher than average binge drinking rate. But it's actually, we see the biggest difference in, in terms of age groups. We see the biggest differences in the 25 to about 64-year-old population um, where we far out binge drink uh, our peers in other states. Um, again, it gets more dissimilar as you get to the higher income levels. It's very similar our binge drinking rate to other states when we look at um, incomes less than fifteen thousand. But when we get to incomes above a hundred thousand, you see that Iowa has a much higher binge drinking rate, over thirty uh, percent, compared to the rest of the country, um, which which is just really interesting. So it's not that. Um, you know, it's people who, who don't have education or don't, don't have the means to make healthy decisions. This is all of us. It affects all of us across all population groups. Mm-hmm. Does the
1: type of we we mentioned red wine there and what was popularly thought to be the case with red wine um, before we had some more scientific evidence. Does, does the type of alcohol matter when it comes to cancer risk, beer, wine, hard liquor?
3: No, we really look at them as units of alcohol. So it's really the quantity, as as Michael discussed, it's a dose-response type of relationship. So the higher the quantity or the higher those units, whatever the type of alcohol is, the higher your risk uh, for contributing to cancer. So there's not really one that's better or worse than the others.
1: Mm-hmm. How much more do we have to find out about alcohol's role here? What are some unanswered questions about alcohol um, uh, about alcohol and
0: cancer, I you know I think we have a an understanding of its role as a carcinogen causing cancers to start. Where I think there is more to learn is how um, alcohol might contribute to cancers being more aggressive um, and um, having worse outcomes in in patients. I think that part of the biology of the effect of alcohol on, on cancer is less well understood than its role as a carcinogen.
1: Mm-hmm. Okay, we're coming up on a break. Here's uh, one of the questions from a listener in Davenport, Mike, and how, how relevant this is for today. But any views, he asks, about the daily use of milk thistle capsule to support liver
0: health. Um, any views there? Or perhaps not, it's not in our focus this hour. I I have to admit I'm not really familiar with that, um, so I'd, I'd hate to um, comment on it. Um, I'm, I'm not, not familiar with that, that substance. Mm-hmm.
1: Okay, we're going to take a short break and come back uh, with uh, Michael and Mary uh, as we continue to talk about cancer trends. We'll uh, talk about some other, uh, well, s- some good news. Cancer deaths continue to trend downward in Iowa, uh, estimating uh, in this report some 6,100 Iowans dying from the disease this year. Uh, we'll ask uh, Mary and Michael what's behind this trend and some other findings in this latest Cancer in Iowa report from 2024. We'll be back in just a moment. Join our conversation 1-866-780-9100 or email us river to river at iowapublicradio.org Back in just a moment and we're back with more river to river from IPR news I'm Ben Kiefer our focus this hour on the 2024 cancer in Iowa report and we have two cancer experts with us Mary Charlton professor of epidemiology director of the Iowa Cancer registry that puts out uh, the uh, cancer report uh, every year. Uh, uh, Michael Henry, uh, interim director of the University of Iowa Holden Comprehensive Cancer Center, join us with your questions. Um, our emphasis this hour has been uh, the role of uh, alcohol consumption in increasing risk of cancer, but uh, please, uh, we're here to entertain all kinds of questions you may have about cancer, whether that's uh, uh, prevention, diagnosis, uh, or treatment. one 780 9100 river-to-river at iowapublicradio.org. Uh, what are the, uh, Mary, then, what are the takeaways for individuals listening? Uh, Michael elaborated a little bit on that, and, and I'm, I'm getting the sense, you know, one drink does not mean, you know, you're risking cancer, or does it?
3: No, you know, really, I guess if we're preaching anything, I guess it's moderation. You know, we just want to build awareness that any reduction you can make in your alcohol intake likely will mean a reduction in your cancer risk. So maybe just think about it, you know, for, for individuals next time. If you're deciding whether you want to have a second or third drink, maybe think about, well, maybe I don't need this one. Um, so and yeah. and for people who are heavy and binge drinkers, you know, we we really encourage them uh, to, to seek help or, or to just however they want to go about it of figuring out a way to reduce their risk because they, they really are at the highest risk, uh, of that contributing to cancer. Do
1: you have some quick tips for how to reduce alcohol consumption, um, <laughs> to put as a footnote on this report, Mary?
3: Yeah, I'd really like to highlight, um, you know, the work that the Iowa Cancer Consortium does, uh, each year they put out the, or not, I'm sorry, not each year, but, um, they, they put out the Iowa Cancer Plan, and it's got a lot of great resources in it for everybody, but not just individuals. Um, I, I really want to make the point that, you know, while we each need to do our part and trying to make good decisions, um, it, it's really helpful when we have policies and legislation that make it uh, easier, easier, easier for us to do the healthy things and less mm-hmm. easy for us to do the unhealthy things. So there's also things that can be done at the state level um, that could uh, – Help build awareness and reduce heavy and binge drinking, and and that's all outlined in the Iowa Cancer Plan.
1: Yeah, Michael Henry, do you have anything to say about that? What we could do as individuals, or policy wise in our state, to um, uh, to help reduce alcohol consumption?
0: You know, I mean, I mean, I think this is a step toward that. Just building building some awareness of of what the what the issues what the issues are, um, and. You know, I think there there may other states have tackled this problem in in, in different ways through some you know legislation or, or things that might affect individuals' decision to you know drink um, and and you know the the availability of alcohol, the cost of alcohol. You know, these are things that can modify um, modify behaviors. I you know I, I think it's it's something that is um, on the plate for, for discussion as we all go forward. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Some good news is the report. Elaborate on it, please, uh, Mary. Cancer deaths continuing a downward trend here in Iowa. I assume that's also nationwide. T- tell us about that trend and, and what's behind it.
3: Yeah, that's correct. Uh, Fortunately, our cancer mortality rate here in Iowa continues to decline similar to the rest of the country. Um, And we estimate, though, there will be approximately 6,100 cancer deaths among Iowans in 2024. And this is a decrease of 100 uh, from last year. What's behind it? Uh, Fortunately, I think we have um, things like colorectal cancer screening. Um, John mentioned getting his colonoscopy. Colonoscopies Mm -hmm. are one of the few types of screening tests where they can actually remove the cancer or remove the polyp before it becomes cancer. Uh, So things like that are really helpful. I think there's been great improvements in treatment, um, thanks to a lot of cancer research going on around the country and the world. Uh, So I think the prognosis for people receiving a cancer diagnosis is much better today than it used to be.
1: Mm -hmm. What else in this report do you want to bring out um, for our listeners, Mary?
3: Sure. Uh, I'd like to bring out that lung cancer continues to be the most common cause of cancer deaths. And it accounts for nearly one out of every four cancer deaths in Iowa. And that is huge. Um, And our lung cancer incidence in Iowa is declining, but much more slowly than in the rest of the United States. Uh, one study showed that between 1990 and 2019, Iowa ranked second to last in reducing our age-adjusted lung cancer incidence. And in fact, we're very much last when it comes to women because age-adjusted lung cancer mortality is actually increasing in Iowa compared to a, a, 25, a 26% increase in Iowa compared to a 6% decrease in the rest of the U.S.
1: Mm-hmm. So, so what should Iowa be doing differently?
3: Well, um, you know, lung cancer can be largely prevented. The, the two most common risk factors include tobacco use, which causes over 80% of lung cancers, and we have 15% of Iowans still reporting smoking. Um, so <clears throat> really, policies and legislation designed to reduce smoking uh, are critically important, and making resources available for smoking cessation. Um, lung cancer screening is another important one where we can get better. So uh, that's really important. But among nonsmokers, radon is the leading cause of lung cancer, and all mm-hmm. of Iowa is at high risk for exposure because of the, the land and the rock that we sit on. So mm-hmm. uh, incredibly important for people to test their homes and mitigate that risk for radon.
1: Right. That is so important. When we had young children at home, we had that tested, and we did have a radon mitigation system put in. And it was so important, especially, Mary, back me up on this, especially if you have like bedrooms in a lower floor that mm-hmm. Radon tends to collect uh, in, in basement areas. You really need to have that checked out and um, have a mitigation system if needed, right?
3: Absolutely. It does tend to collect in that in that basement area. It gets kind of trapped down there. And the newer and kind of tighter the house, the more it's trapped in there. So it's really important to, um, to test that. Uh, even if you don't spend a lot of time down there, any time down there, if you're, you're breathing that in, that's, that's another piece of the pie of the trivial pursuit game I talked about. And, and that's one right. that's really uh, easily preventable. It, it uh, unfortunately can be a little bit costly, but in the scheme of things, um, I think well worth it. And, and hopefully someday there'll be legislation that maybe makes the cost of that more um, right. attainable to people.
1: Right, and radon and odorless, colorless gas. You can't know if, if it's uh, in your house, in your basement, just by, you know, you have to have a special kit,
3: right? Correct. Absolutely. Right.
1: Uh, was there anything interesting, Mary, when you looked at the, the data here, notable when you compare counties in Iowa? Were there uh, ranges there that were, were different uh, depending on the uh, area of the state?
3: Yeah, so interesting. Uh, thanks for asking that. Um, The the four cancers where we really differ from the rest of the country that that are driving our our higher rates um, are melanoma, breast cancer, prostate cancer, and then lung cancer, which isn't increasing, but as I said, it's not decreasing like the rest of the country. And if we look at the geographic patterns, it's really interesting how different for these four. It's not like there's just one place in Iowa that is a hotbed of cancer. Uh, When we look at lung cancer, we see those southern three tiers of counties of Iowa having the highest or at least some of the highest um, lung cancer rates. Then when we look at melanoma, we see it's the opposite. It's the upper three tiers of counties in the state that have the highest rates of melanoma. Uh, mm. When we look at prostate cancer, we see it's actually the western part of the state. And we've seen that for a long time, and we're not, not sure why it would be so much higher in the western part of the state. And prostate cancer is tricky because a lot of times if you look for it, you'll find it. So it could be sort of a confluence of maybe some urologists over there doing a heck of a lot of PSA screening in their patients and finding it. But there also could be other risk factors in the western part of the state that could be driving that. And then in breast cancer, we see the highest rates in our cities, our most populated areas. And that um, is thought to at least in part be due to the fact that um Women living in cities compared to rural areas tend to have a little bit higher levels of education. The more education you have, you tend to wait longer to have kids. And the longer you wait to have kids actually increases your risk for breast cancer. So we see these very different patterns. So when people say, you know, is it the pesticides? Is it something in the water? I mean, we, we really need to investigate those things. But I see such different geographic patterns in all these cancers. It can't be just one thing coming from one source.
1: Yeah. And Michael, I do, do want it before our hour gets away from us. I wanted to uh, ask you about all the fascinating research going on at the Holden Comprehensive Cancer Center at the University of Iowa. But first to finish up quickly with Mary, you mentioned breast cancer, Mary, and doing some reading for this show here. Uh, we have a great number, thankfully, of cancer survivors growing in Iowa and nationwide. And, and breast cancer is really one of the, the cancers that uh, uh, many are surviving with these days.
3: That's right. Um, you know, Iowa has the ninth highest incidence rate of breast cancer in the country, and it's rising faster in Iowa than most other states. But our mortality rate um, is, is in line with the rest of the country. So as you said, that means for breast cancer and for many other cancers, we're adding to the roles of cancer survivors each year, and we're getting to the point where we have almost 169,000 Iowans, uh, on, and according to our records, of people who've were diagnosed here and then sort of presumably stayed here. So 169,000 Iowans who have been diagnosed with cancer at some point since
1: 1973. Mm -hmm. Uh, Lynn has a question, one of our listeners, Lynn asks, uh, how do you define binge drinking in your uh, research? That's a good question, Lynn.
3: Yeah, that is a good question, thank you. Um, Binge drinking is defined as drinking five or more drinks on one occasion for men and four or more drinks on one occasion for women. Uh, that's just mm-hmm. sort of the standard definition for it.
1: Mm-hmm. And when you have your annual physical, that's one of the questions you'll, you'll be asked, right? And that, that's changed over the years, hasn't it? I mean, what is considered moderate drinking?
3: I'm not sure. That's a great question, and now I'm going to go back and look. But um, <laughs> as, sure. lo- as long as I, I've been kind of on the it. scene here, I think that that's kind of the standard yeah. definition. But I, you can imagine yeah. as norms change in society that that's and, and you know, science and evidence changes, I'm sure that's absolutely changed over time.
1: Uh, Michael, um, talk about some of the, the research going on at the Holden Comprehensive Cancer Center. We could spend an entire hour easily talking about all the facets uh, and the, the science being done there, but uh, uh, tell us a little.
0: Yeah, sure. So, um, you know, at, at the Holden Comprehensive Cancer Center, we we really work collaboratively across a number of the colleges and departments at the University of Iowa. And uh, Mary and her work with the registry is is has been really important for telling us about the burden of cancer in Iowa, and then how our cancer center can address this. And and you know. Through research, we have been involved in a number uh, a number of efforts. Faculty uh, that are a part of the Cancer Center have been involved in a number of efforts. Um, Dr. Jia Luo is the uh, pathology endowed chair in alcohol research, and he has um, NIH-funded um, studies to, to really focus on alcohol and breast cancer. Um, he's a real expert in this you know, particular issue of how of how alcohol is linked to cancer risk, and um, has recently published um, some really interesting work that he presented at one of our. Uh, we had a breast cancer symposium a couple of weeks ago, and he presented his work in mice, mind you. This is not not in humans in mice, showing the effects of what what would model a binge drinking um, uh, effect in a. Adolescent mice, like what what that does to their their cancer risk as they age, it was really quite quite interesting the, in how it accelerated the development of of tumors in these mice, even from these exposures, you know that were um, at at an early stage in the in the mouse's life. That was quite interesting. They've gone on to to study some of the mechanisms beyond those that we've talked about that relate to that. Beyond the work directly on alcohol and cancer, we work on a number of the cancer types that, are, that Mary mentioned um, are involved um, and being, being related to um, a risk with, with alcohol. So uh, in oral cancer, um, Dr. Marissa Bichakjian, who um, actually uh, is John's doctor, um, uh, works with a team from the College of Dentistry. Um, to develop, uh, they're developing an oral cancer specialized program of research excellence. This is a, a very large program that looks in a, a very broad way at oral cancer to try and um, improve uh, approaches to detecting, diagnosing, and treating this disease. I think, you know, early detection is really important, and I think you heard that from John. He's very, uh, he listened to his body and, and 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 went in and had things checked out when They didn't uh, seem right, and that's that's really important. Um, In the area of colorectal cancer, we have a number of efforts. We've recruited a new faculty member, Dr. Sarah Short, um, who works on that connection between inflammation and colon cancer, and particularly the role of oxidative stress in that. Um, There are a number of efforts on colorectal cancer screening and prevention. Uh, Dr. Barcy Levy presented to our Cancer Center a few weeks ago about her work comparing the effectiveness of of various home colon cancer tests. And then finally, um, we really also work out in the community through our community outreach and engagement team that's led by Dr. Natasha Askelson. Um, They've spent much of the last year highlighting colorectal cancer to raise uh, awareness in the community, and um, we're just about headed into March, which is Colorectal Cancer Awareness Month, which we will be kicking off on on Friday with an event at the Holden Comprehensive Cancer Center and as you heard from Mary, um, who's, I should say, also a very active Cancer Center member herself, she leads one of our program um, programs, her, her work she mentioned um, in colorectal cancer has, has um, shown an elevated uh, risk in some of these southern counties in, in yeah. Iowa.
1: So, Michael, quickly before we go, how is funding for cancer research? Is that, is that adequate in your view?
0: Well, you know, um it 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 has so the last few years we had been doing better. Um there had been increases in the in in the NIH budget. Unfortunately, it looks like we're headed into a flat funding at best um, period right right now. Where we're at with the budget process, it's a little difficult to tell because it's still in play. Yeah. But flat funding is effectively a, a reduction because we we have to deal with inflation just like everybody else, and so so that's that is a problem. Yeah,
1: mm-hmm. and and more funding. Um, Uh, Equate[s] with um, faster progress.
0: Well, that's certainly been the 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 lesson over over many decades. Uh, A lot of these advances in therapy um, that have come to you know contribute to the fact, as Mary said, we're we're actually doing quite much better with cancer mortality in this state. This has come from decades of research funded by the NIH.
1: Yeah. Michael Henry, look forward to having you, you back. Uh, Michael, interim director of the UI Holden Comprehensive Cancer Center. Mary Charlton, director of the Iowa Cancer Registry at the UI. Thanks for coming in. Thank you. Thanks, Ben. River to River produced today by Caitlin Troutman with help from Danny Gere. Also, a big thanks to Jason Burns. I'm Ben Kiefer. Thanks for joining us.